Well, hello, this is Tim Marr, and welcome to Failing Up. Thank you, Jungle Jim, for that wonderful musical introduction. Oh my gosh, I'll tell you, the, the, the magic that comes out of that man's fingers as he just strokes those keys on that synthesizer. I mean, what a what a musical genius. You know, what a, what a pleasure to have him sitting there over in the corner behind his synthesizer. Today he has a nice Hawaiian shirt on with a big pint glass wig for that dollar tip I give him at the end of every single show. Jungle Jim. Yes, this is Tim Marr. This is Failing Up. And we're recording this podcast, of course, on the in the bowels studio located on the shores of the mighty Seneca River, flowing north to the Great Oswego River, which once again flows north. Very, I think it's one of two rivers that flows north in the United States, continental United States of America, all the way up to the beautiful Great Lake of Ontario. Oh my goodness, all the summer activities are now kicking into Lake Ontario. Boats and swimmers and scuba divers. There is a ton of shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, and Lake Ontario has a numerous amount of them. They continue to discover them all the time. Just a wonderful inland ocean. If you make a right, you're going to go past 1,000 islands on the Great St. Lawrence Seaway, heading out to the mighty Atlantic Ocean and around the world, just like this voice of mine is is uh, broadcasting today or recording today or whatever the podcast proper podcast terminology is, but screw it. I just said it. Anyway, if you make a left, you're going to head over to Buffalo, a little north. You're going to the beautiful city of Toronto, Canada, Cosmopolitan, home of the second second city. That's right. The second city uh, formed uh, up in Toronto in 1971, the original second city in Chicago in 1959. Then they opened up uh, in the Firehouse Theater. 116, I think it was Lombard Street, 116 Lombard Street. I studied there. Beautiful place. Now it's in a, in a bigger spot up there. Uh, 1971, John Candy, Gilda Radner, Dan Aykroyd. Bill Murray actually spent some time up in Toronto, Second City, founded by the famous Chicago, Second City, and the famous Toronto, Second City, feeding the majority of the not ready for primetime players. If you make a left, you're going to head towards Niagara Falls, inch by inch, inch by inch. And you're going to grab a barrel. You're going to go over that falls. You're going to hit Lake Erie. You're going to go down to Cleveland, Ohio. That's right, Cleveland, Ohio, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Lake uh, Erie, beautiful Lake Erie, another great lake. Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, Lake Superior. I mean, if you ever get a chance, if you haven't gotten a chance, check out these great lakes. Nice thing about a great lake, if you get, you know, if you get stranded in the ocean, you can't drink the water. You're screwed. If you're stranded in the ocean, in a raft. Now, if you're stranded in a Great Lake in a raft, you can drink the water. And there are no sharks in the Great Lakes. So if you really want to explore with a little more safety on a, on a rickety boat, try the Great Lakes and the Great Inland Oceans. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'll tell you, you know, one of the customs here on the mighty Seneca River the natives of the mighty Seneca River, those who, who, who make residence or summer homes or just kind of troll the river. One of the many customs, there are nighttime fires along the river. It's a way to, to uh, light up the river at night. And I got to say, not only is he a musical genius, you know, should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if there's a synthesizer category, but he's also a man who can light a nasty fire. That's right, Jungle Jim. Jungle Jim in his recording studio along the mighty shores of the of the mighty Seneca River, you know, put on a beautiful fire, you know, of the night of the red moon, the great red moon, you know, it was a blood red moon last night, or blood red blood red moon last night. That's what it was supposed to be. But up here in this area, this part of 
of the beautiful state of New York, the state of New York. It was very cloudy, so you couldn't see the, the blood red moon, but it didn't matter because Jungle Jim is one of the few individuals along the Great Lake that is able to master the art of a smokeless fire. So there's a beautiful smokeless fire along the Great Lake. That's right. Cousins come together over the Great Lake. Oh, the Great Lake is made up of many families, and not the Great Lake, the, the mighty Seneca River. Families and cousins and people who know each other. And they all gather and they light these fires along the mighty Seneca River. And boats go up and down it at night. And it's, uh, it's something as the Blackened River continues to flow north. But these fires and Jungle Jim with his musical genius lighting up a you know, a beautiful, smokeless, sparkless fire in the middle of the night. You know, as we all stared at the fire, mesmerized, knowing that it was the night of the blood-red moon. Well, the blood-red moon. What's up with the blood? I, you know, I don't get it. I, you, know, I don't, you know, we landed on the moon, and you know, we landed on the moon, and the moon, the moon is gray. The moon is gray. So unfortunately, a lot of the myths around the moon were really, you know, were dispelled 53 years ago when we landed on the moon. You know, I mean, the moon is the moon. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a moon. It's not even a planet. It's gray soil, you know, dusty gray soil. And um, over the centuries, I mean, it's been a you know, a mystical place, you know, of energy and worship. I mean, it helps with the tides. Of course, the moon brings the tide in and helps the tide go out. And that's about its, that's its most power, but a blood red moon. You know, that's how the, the light reflects off the moon or a total eclipse of the moon. Yeah, I took my thumb last night and had an eclipse of the moon, you know, but, but I don't, I, you know, and, and the moon, the moon is like our nightlight at times. It's like a nightlight, you know, that's what the moon is. And it's part of, you know, it's in our orbit and it's part of our solar system and the universe. It's like these folks, you know, I don't get it. You know, when folks say, you know, the moon, the universe, all of this stuff. We'll leave it to the universe. The universe will take, you know, the universe will take care of us. The universe is great. Let it go, the mighty universe. You know, the universe is called space. It's a big, huge space full of stars and planets and it's cold and you can't breathe up there. That's the universe, you know? It's matter and space. Leave it to the universe. It's space. That's like saying, I'm gonna leave it to my, it's like an ant saying, I'm gonna leave it to the backyard. The universe is space. Now I'm not saying there's another, there's, I believe there's life form out in the universe because the thing is freaking huge. But space, there comes a time I think where, you know, I think when the shit hits the fan, you know, when it really hits the fan in your life, it, you know, the universe isn't going to cut it. You know, if I'm laying there, you know, uh, looking at something pretty severe, you know, I just hit a tree and my car's about to catch up for it. I don't think I'm going to leave it. I think I'm going to pray to somebody. I think I'm going to ask somebody for whoever you want to call that great entity, God, you know, Mohammed, the creator. But I think I think you want to I think you want to narrow it down from the universe to try to make it into some type of individual. You know, you want to you don't want you want to send your mail at that point with a zip code on it. You want your mail to have a zip code. You don't want to just go into the universe. You don't want to throw some things. You just don't want to throw out to the universe. The universe. I'm going to leave it to the universe. The universe will guide. The universe ain't going to guide shit because the universe is a big spacious place. 
Well, you don't understand what I'm saying, Tim, because the universe is made up of energy, and that energy is really the beauty and love and peace of us all. Give me a freaking break. Love and peace for all comes from us. It doesn't come from an asteroid. Half the stars are burned out anyways. The universe. I'm going to, you know, the, the, the universe. You know, narrow it down, you know. Pick a zip code. Pick somebody to shoot a prayer to. Man, oh, man. And don't get pissed off at each other when you're doing it. You know, grab. But the universe, you know. Stephen Hawkins says the Stephen Hawkins was a genius, what, physicist? A genius? That doesn't make him a, an expert on God. That doesn't make him an expert on spirituality. That doesn't make him an expert on who's running the show because he was a good math guy. Or Einstein. Come on, Einstein. He doesn't know. Doesn't make him an expert. Leave it to the universe. Oh, leave it to the universe. My house is on fire. I'm going to scream out the window to the universe. Somebody's saying, well, wow, you're a real asshole. I am, but I could. But I'm just saying, the uh, you know, sometimes you want to narrow it down. That's like that's like having your, you know, your house on fire in the middle of nowhere. And instead of narrowing down who you're gonna reach out to, or your house on fire, I'm gonna narrow it down. But I want to call the fire department. So if your house is on fire and you're in crisis, okay, you're gonna want to narrow down who you're reaching out. You're not gonna leave it to the universe. So let's make it more of a domestic issue. So your house is on fire. You're not going to call the Onondaga, you know, you're not going to call, like, the county office building. You're not going to call the municipality office. You're not going to call, you're not going to leave it to the county, your legislature. You're not going to leave it to, to um, you know, people in the, you know, walk. You're going to want to narrow it down. You're going to want to say, you know, I'm probably going to want to call the fire department. I think I'm going to call the fire department. I'm not going to leave it up to the uh, Office of Municipalities. I'm not going to leave it up to the mayor's office. I'm going to narrow it down. I'm not going to leave it up to all those offices. I'm going to narrow it down. I'm going to, I think that's how it is. You know, leaving it to the, I think leaving, personally, you know, and I'm, I think leaving it to the universe is like saying, screw it. Because then you get away with everything. Oh, the universe. The universe will cleanse me. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, stars are cool and I love looking at the sky because the sky was in the space and all was created by, by, by something. And it's beautiful. And I think there is an aura there and I think there is a beauty there. And again, I think I, I would, you know, bet on it. There's, there is other life forms out there. And I wonder if they're saying, you know, leave it to the universe. Hmm, I don't know. What do I know? You know, what do I know? The universe, space travel, all of that, you know, 53 years ago, it took 53 years. This, this gets me too. It took 53 years to see if we could grow a plant in moon soil. So 53 years, if I did the math right, 1969, we landed on the moon. And we did it up until, I think, 1972. Grabbed a mess of, mess of soil and dirt, rocks and all that. You know some of those astronauts brought that home too. You know somewhere... Some of those astronauts or their families have a moon rock on a bookshelf. You know it. You know, or they got it in their garden. You know, you know, you're sitting on the back porch and some family saying, oh, my grandfather walked on. You know, my grandfather, Neil, walked on the moon. And you see that rock in the garden? That's from the, that's from the Sea of Tranquility. Neil, my grandfather brought that back from the Sea of, the one, yeah, the one right next to the, to the little gnome. That's from, that's from the Sea of Tranquility on the moon. Sea of Tranquility. My pro my grandfather, yeah, he just put it in his pocket when he came out of that incubator. Yeah, they, what are they gonna what are they, frisk him? 
they're going to frisk a hero and say, turn over that rock? You know, once you brought it home, it's done. Done deal. Brought it home. Brought the rock home. Maybe that's where uh, the pandemic came from, moon rocks. But in any event, so, you know, so it took 53 years, I believe, if I'm wrong, 1969. I should just say that. Some people, hey, if you're going to make a point, make sure you do your math properly. So anyway, it took 53, 53 years, 1969, to decide to see if we could put all this stuff back. Well, let's see if we can grow something in it. Okay. 53 years. Big news, they can grow a plant in moon soil. They can grow a little teeny plant in moon soil. After a while, it might turn purple or black, kind of like a bruise or a lack of circulation. But uh, they don't know if you can eat it, but they can grow a plant. Why do you want to know if you can grow a plant in moon soil? I don't know. But it took that. Why does it take so long? All these, why did we even stop going to the moon? Why do you know why do we stop going to the moon? Because people, oh, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of money. We got to stop that. Well, why did you stop? Imagine what could have happened between 1972, you know, we're talking 50 years, to 2022 if we just kept going. Who knows what would happen? We'd be doing a lot more than sticking a plant, sticking a plant, and oh, well, it was worth it. We can grow a little plant. We can grow a little plant. It was worth it. Oh, my gosh. Holy smokes. Whew. Whew. Time for a little cup of coffee. Mm. Anyway, what's my take? That's my take on, on the universe, you know. I like to narrow it down. You know, I like to direct my hope and my prayers. You know, I like to narrow it down to a zip code. You know what I mean? I narrow it down to a specific zip code. Yeah. It ain't cool. Hey, it ain't it ain't cool to pray to God now, you know. It ain't cool. It ain't cool. I don't know. What do I know? I don't know. I don't care. You can believe in anything. You can believe in anything, but I you narrow it down. I don't know. You and it's fine if you believe in the universe. I just from my perspective, I would want to narrow it down a little bit. That's just how I am. I would want to narrow it down a little bit. You know, when people say, Where do I go to get my driver's license? I don't say, Well, you know, just pick a building and and they'll get they'll get you there. I don't know. It's what any event. You know, I it, it's funny because I've had, you know, and, and you, you think about it, you know, you think of through the years, you know, the things that impact you. And I've always had this fear, you know, not of not of the universe and the unknown and all that kind of stuff, you know. You know, if you're a guy like me, you're really comfortable knowing that you just don't know things. Because if you don't know things, you know, you don't know things, it's kind of comfortable. I want to know. You know, knowledge is the key. Knowledge unlocks everything. Well, you know. Maybe I don't want it unlocked. What, what do I want to unlock? And where does that knowledge come from? And how do you know that knowledge is accurate that you just, anyway? But I've always had a fear of power tools, you know? It was 1965, and the appropriate big hit of 1965, I believe, was Help by the Beatles, which I really grasped onto, you know? 1965, you can do the math. I was six years old, 1965. Beautiful summer day, 1965, you know? 1965, and, you know, my parents, my parents grew up in the city of Syracuse, so my, my father's family grew up on the, you know, up in the, they call it the Tipperary Hill area, the Irish area, you know, at that time, it was separated by this street called West Genesee Street, which was probably considered a major thoroughfare from the city out into the, 
you know, into the, the sprawling suburbs that were being created and even, you know, farther on. And that separated the St. Patrick's side of Tipperary Hill from the St. Bridget side of Tipperary Hill. And the St. Patrick's side was more of like the Lace Curtain. The St. Bridget side was more of like the Bowery Boys. And my family was from the St. Bridget side. Some great restaurants, great Irish, you know. And the other was the St. You know, uh, Patrick's side. Although, of course, you know, they all got along up there. But um, my mother grew up, you know, in the city. Um, and my grandfather, her father, uh, was a fireman was a fireman in the city and they grew up on kind of like uh i think it was the it's called could probably consider the east side of the city they weren't you know in not really the north side but the east side they were like pretty closer to the east side of the city you know and and the neighborhood they grew up in i believe it was it was a nice mix italian german um and uh, there were some great, you know, there were great German meat markets around that. And there is still one there, Lees and Steiger Walls. If you ever get to upstate New York, Lees and, go to Lees and Steiger Walls and get yourself a big hunk of ring bologna. And you tell me that's not heaven. You tell me the universe made that ring bologna. Oh, my God, I love that stuff. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so they, you know, but they decided, like many individuals who growing up in the city, city schools, and we actually lived in the city for a while. We lived up uh, in, in both areas. We lived in both areas. We lived near Tipperary Hill and we lived... You know, but then we, you know, this, like everybody move out to the, move out to the suburbs. Everybody at that area, era, you know, early 60s, were, they were heading out, man, moving out into the suburbs. I don't know why, but they did. And my parents decided, they went on a Sunday drive and they decided, we don't just want to move out. To, let's go one step beyond the suburbs. You know, let's go a little more rural. So they moved to this street called Northeast Town Line Road. Now, Northeast Town Line Road today is a suburb. It's a sprawling kind of a, a upper middle class suburb, probably upper class suburb even, because the farmers sold all their land. But we moved there, I believe, in 1962 uh, or, or summer of 1963. Um, it was still pretty darn rural. I mean, you know, my parents built a house there. There weren't neighbors on the right or the left at the time, although immediately throughout the years, more houses were being built. And behind my parents' house was just a field, just a field with a, a, probably, you know, in a forest a little back. I mean, you'd wake up in the morning and it wasn't unusual to see cows and horses, you know, back in the field or, or you know, eating your grass in the backyard. And again, more people were starting. There were some houses there. We, you know, there were like neighbors a little, you know, around there. They're probably like on our side of Townline Road. It was a two-mile road that ran north and south. Uh, on our side of Townline Road, you know, you had a... Uh, we probably had like six houses, and, you know, and there's an old farmhouse and, you know, your neighbors and that kind of, but you, I'll tell you, you, you felt like you were out in the country and, and coming, you know, I was probably four, but I still remember the comfort of being, you know, riding a city bus and all that. We, we, we went into the city a lot. We spent 50, 50, but anyway, so Townline Road was in, you know, the country, you know, fresh air and, you know, so my father, you know, and everybody, you had, you had lawns and you cut grass and you even cut, you even cut land that wasn't your land because nobody cared. So we had our land, you know, our yard, I guess you called it, land. See, we get rural. We had our yard and then, you know, he would cut like a, a, a big patch of grass behind our yard where we would play on too. And um, some of great neighbors, John Scott Henke was one of my neighbors up there. Great nicknames. But anyway, so he would cut that patch of land. And, uh, but you had to get, you had to get something to cut it with, you know, cause now, you know, they moved from the city into the country, you know, and in the city they used push mowers without gas now. So it wasn't like we had, we had a riding mower, but it wasn't really a riding mower. What we had was a gravely, a gravely, and a gravely is this solid cast iron machine. It's not a lawnmower. It's a machine. And a Gravely has two handlebars. It's if you picture a snowblower, because you can actually take the mower off 
and put a snowblower on in the winter, a big, heavy, cast iron snowblower, and self-propelled two front wheels in the front and two handles with a gear shifter. Nothing but no wires. It was all metal and chain, and it actually put a hole in our garage uh, wall at one time. And you would take that snowblower off, and then you would put on this mower. And the mower looked like the USS Enterprise from Star Trek. It was this Star Trek. It was this big, circular piece that went on the front of the Gravely. Big mower, man. I mean, big. And instead of walking behind the Gravely when you cut the lawn, you hooked up a sulky, like a sulky racer. like the horses have, a sulky racer. And that's how we cut the grass. And the Gravely was noisy. And, you know, it was a shuck. You, you grabbed onto these two handlebars, you know. And you, you couldn't steer the gravely because those self-propelled wheels did not move. So you had to tip down the handlebars and move the mower up and right and left. And this thing, that's just how it sounds. So that was, you know, the Saturday morning sound out in the rural where my parents moved. Now, Northeast Town Line Road was an interesting road onto itself because Northeast Town Line Road, one side of Northeast Townland Road, our side of Northeast Townland Road, was in Onondaga County. The other side of Northeast Townland Road was Marcellus, a small village um, down in the valley, you know, home of the Waltons. But Marcellus was on the other side of Northeast Townland Road, which led to some really interesting activities. So, for example, in the wintertime, first of all, Northeast Townland Road in the wintertime was a very, it was high elevation. It was in these hills of the, the the western hills around route 20 you know and i tell you you got snow up there the wind would just blow and um but in the winter time only the the plows from onondaga county would plow our side of the road and the uh plows from the town of marcellus would plow the other side of the road but they wouldn't go over and plow both sides of the road and sometimes there would be power outages so our side of the road was the power company called Niagara Mohawk, beautiful Art Deco building in Syracuse, New York. If you ever get to Syracuse, New York, you'll see the, the Art Deco Niagara Mohawk building constructed in the early 30s. And the other side of the road was uh, New York State Light, Gas and Electric, something like that. So sometimes our side of the road would have lights and the other side of the road would be blacked out or the other side of the road would be blacked out and our side of the road would have lights. It was really interesting. It was, it was something living on Northeast Town. You know, and like sometimes, you know, very rare. We don't get tornadoes up. Very get little, little tornadoes. You know, you like pre, we get pre pubescent, 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 puberty, puberty, pubescent, pubescent, pubescent. We get pre pubescent tornadoes. The little guys, and um, does a nice sniff. And they um, sometimes you know you get a tornado warning. We never get tornadoes. Well, very rarely. But anyway. A tornado, a tornado warning for Onondaga County, all these counties. So we'd like, oh my God, a tornado's coming. So we'll just walk on the other side of the road. Tornado warning from ourselves. Oh, we'll just, you know, we'll just walk on the other side of the road. You're not going to get hit by a tornado. That led to a lot of ways that I think to this day. But anyway, town, you know, out in this rural place, and it was one of these beautiful, you know, just, a, I, I love the smell of my father cutting the grass on the gravely, and I would sit on the back porch. You know, it was a it was a Pleasant Valley weekend. It wasn't a Sunday, but it was one of those Pleasant Valley weekends. You know, we had the barbecue grill and and the back porch opened up, and you know, my dad was out there cutting the grass, and my sisters were in the house. We had an in-law apartment in our house where my grandfather and my uncle lived, because um, my grandmother passed away before we moved out there, so we built a little in-law section to our house, and uh, they lived there. So you know, we're out there, and my dad's coming. You know, and I'm on the back porch, you know, playing with my G.I. Joe. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. 
Help me, cause I know better. Next thing I know, I hear this scream. I hear this primeval scream. And I look up, and the Gravely is just going by itself. The Gravely is now going by itself into the, into the fields. If there's a horse back there, if there's a cow back there, they are gone. Because that Gravely will chew them up and spit them out. And my father is sprinting towards me. My father was a big man, you know, over six foot three and like 230 pounds, you know, football player sprinting towards me. It's like Jerry Kramer was running up towards me or whoever a big football. And he's holding his finger and blood is just all over his hands. He goes, Timmy, Timmy, go in the house and tell your grandfather I just cut my finger off. And I said, what? And he said, I just cut my finger off. <coughs> go get your grandfather. So I go, wow, wow. You know, so I go sprinting into the house. Oh. I sprint in, I sprint through our dining room. I sprint through our living room. I go down this little hallway and I fly into my grand, my grandpa. My grandfather was a hardcore old school stern Irishman, you know. So God, you know, I walk into that house. Flip it, grandpa, dad just cut off his finger. Oh, for God, would you tell your father to stop messing around for gosh, they can't just see him. He was watching golf. He was watching golf. Tell your father to stop messing around. And my uncle Jimmy then happened to be there, and he comes out. He goes, "What's going?" On? I said, "Dad just cut off his finger." He said, "Stop! You know, just just stop to stop the joking around." So I sprint back through the house. I sprint down the hallway. I sprint through the living room. I sprint through the dining room. I sprint under the garage, and there's my father going back and forth in the backyard, holding his hand, and blood's coming out. And I said, "Um." As anyone would want to do in a crisis, and this is where I first learned about crisis management, you know, and stakeholders and how you handle that and how you be creative, I wanted to confirm the situation. Being six years, help me if you can, I'm feeling down. Yeah, man. And I do appreciate you being around. I don't know if he appreciated me being around at that moment, but then I went over to my father and I said, I said, Dad, are you sure you cut off your finger? your grandfather so then i ran back into the house and i went through the dining room i went through the this time i went through the kitchen because he put me through the kitchen i said grandpa he got off his finger so my grandfather gets up begrudgingly gets out there and he goes tom oh my god he cut off his finger jimmy now my uncle jimmy this is in my, my grandfather goes right to my father and he goes jimmy my uncle jimmy goes back and now he's running way back into the weeds trying to get the gravely which by this point is almost you know it's gone you know and, and you see woodchuck scattering and all kind you know how come these city folk have moved out here they don't belong out what are these city folks doing out so anyway he goes to commandeer the gravely my grandfather takes my father and throws him into the car and off everybody goes i go upstairs my sister up there playing whatever they're doing and my brother was doing something i said dad just cut off his finger i said really i said yeah it was kind of scary because like they had just built that house. I remember the carpenter who built the house one day. He came up to say hi. And when he waved, he had like one finger on one hand. And he had like two fingers on the other hand. Apparently he was not good with a bandsaw. And I thought, oh my God. So we spent like, the, you know, my mother was at the store and she went right up to the hospital. And oh my God, what's going to go on? And, uh, you know, the next thing I know, my dad, you know, he comes home. He's all wrapped up. And we're thinking, oh, dad's going to... And they say, well, we're going to see, this is in the 60s, we're going to see if we can save it. So he came home for like a day and they couldn't save it. So he had the finger chopped right off at the knuckle, you know, for the rest of his life. My father's, lucky he was left-handed and it was his right hand. But I'll tell you, since that moment, I, you know, it was, it's the first time in my life I had ever experienced any type of 
you know, crisis and anytime how you work that and how everything goes into slow motion. Also, to this day, I have a fear of any power tools. You know, following that incident, years later, here I am in shop class. Oh my God, I hated shop class. And the first thing they show you in shop class are all these safety films, because back then it was film. And the safety film was all about, you know, if, if you mess up on the lathe, how the whole dowel is going to go right through your back and all that. And I said, I do not want to touch anything what it has to do with a power tool at all. Healthy fear of power tool. You know what I mean? Healthy fear of power tool. But it was interesting that that day, you know, and then it's, you know, it's, and he was, he was fine with it. You know, he was fine. He adapted. We all adapt, you know, he used to have kids count his fingers and they'd say, Oh, I have 10 fingers. No, you have none. Where'd it go? I don't know. Yeah. But it taught me a lesson, you know, stay cool, you know, stay cool. But I guess be more convincing, you know, when it comes to, and you never know when it's going to end. Pleasant Valley Sunday. We didn't barbecue that day. And we didn't barbecue that day. Uh, but, you know, I'll tell you, I learned. I learned that gravely. Oh, I hated that. I, and then I had to, you know, five years. It's funny because then it's like a, there's a rite of passage, you know, when you're a, when you're a, you know, you're a boy and then you become a tween and then you become a teen and then you become whatever you become and then you become this. You know, there's this rite of, oh, today's the day. You're going to cut the grass. And my brother now, my brother was into all that stuff. My brother wanted to drive the Gravely. My brother wanted to cut the grass. My brother, he loved engines. He loved all that stuff. He couldn't wait to drive the Gravely and cut the grass. I didn't want to go near that damn Gravely, number one, because of what I saw. Number two, I knew once you got on that Gravely and cut the grass, now I wasn't going to cut my finger off, but I knew that you were screwed. Because then you were going to be cutting the rat grass for the rest of your life. So my father came up to me with his nine fingers and he would say, Timmy, come on, I'm going to show you how to drive the tractor, son. It's a big moment for you. I said, nah, I'm okay, Dad. I'm good. I'm good. I'll be over here. Well, what do you mean you don't want to drive the tractor? Nah, I'm good. I'm a tractor. You want to learn how to? No, good. Don't need to learn to push more. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm good. What are you talking about? I'm just going to go in the I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go in the kitchen and sample some of Mom's uh uh, goulash, that might be good. No, pack your son. But it's but anyway. So that was my summertime. Always brings back these summertime memories, you know, and how they, how they, you know, how they come up and spawn up and all that kind of stuff. But what a great, what a great, you know, what a what a. I hear you, Jungle Jim. I hear you. I know. I hear you, Jungle Jim, playing that music. He gets so impatient over there in that corner sometimes. It's, you know, you know what people say to me. People say, you know, what does Jungle Jim do while you're while you're over here talking about absolutely nothing? Jungle Jim just paces back and forth. He paces back and forth. The guy, you know, he just walks back and forth. Sometimes he walks around. He doesn't come near me, but he walks back and forth over there. Now he sits down. I hear you. It's time to go. This is Timar, and this is filling up. Take it away, Jungle Jim.